Hello and welcome to Now You've Seen It, the podcast that endeavours to fill the holes in your essential movie viewing history. I'm Paul Gisby, your host for this episode, in which we will be featuring the movie 2001 A Space Odyssey. But first, let's just do some introductions. Um, because joining me today, we have two of our regular panellists in alphabetical order, speaking from a small town north of Seattle, and also the co-host of Fairweather Friends, the Fairweather Friends podcast. We have Matt. Hi, Matt. Hi, Paul. Thanks. And after M, we have P for Peter, and Peter is hailing from the Maritimes Hub City. Peter is a musician, photographer, and Photoshop whiz, and he also has produced the theme music for the Overcast podcast and was... And, was host of two different app review podcasts and he made the logo for this show so hi peter hello who's just been telling us that he's been barbecuing at minus two degrees c which is uh, very interesting last but not least on our introductions uh, certainly not least i'm delighted to welcome brefney early author speaker podcaster and world cycle race winner a very warm nysi welcome to you brefney thank you very much pleasure to be here now, I have to say, before we get into the movie, uh, I just have to back up a little bit. Um, world Cycle Race winner, uh, you just throw that in as a sort of description. That's, uh, I looked it up, actually. This is quite impressive. This is something you did. It was 18,000 miles, 25 countries, six continents. Yeah, well, it, it, that was the plan. It didn't quite work out like that. The numbers are quite similar. It's 18,000 miles, yes. It'll be 27, 28 countries i came i came kind of close to some so i dipped in for lunch maybe in greece or right uh, and over an overnight in croatia but yeah it was a phenomenal 16 months of my life um back in about 2014 2015 yeah. and i wasn't a cyclist at all and i just decided i'm going to set myself this massive challenge and found myself on the start line of that event and 16 months later became the most unlikely winner of the event when I became the only person to finish, which was kind of weird and cool at the same time. Uh, very cool, I'd say. I'm sorry, Peter, you lost the gold star. Barbecuing at minus two is sort of paling into insignificance now. Anyway, okay, let's, thanks for that, Brefty. Okay, let's move on to the, uh, to, to the topic of conversation. So um, now you've seen it, the idea is that we review a movie uh, with two panellists and a host and a guest. And the rule is that the guest chooses a movie that they have not seen before. And it's a movie from our list of top, uh, is it 500? I'm not sure how many we've got on the list now, but a lot of top movies and classics. So let me start. First of all, Brefty, are you a big movie watcher? I am, yeah. I'm a, I I love the cinema. Can't get enough uh, in terms of movies. I'd... I'd go to the cinema. I love going to the cinema on my own mid-afternoon, coming out when it's still daylight. Um, we used to, when in college, myself and a friend would spend Saturday afternoons sometimes if we had nothing else on. We'd go to a, a movie at 12, just jump into another one at 2, another one at 4, another one at 6. We might do four or five movies in a day. and um, We probably only paid for the first one, so we just, we'd move right. around from theatre to theatre. But no, it was, it was great. And, and, I, and I, even now, I don't get out to the cinema as often as I'd like to now. But I do still like to, to get out and see some of the blockbusters, maybe some of the local indies that are made here in Ireland. And, and yeah, just any movie, it doesn't matter what it is, I, I enjoy it. Brilliant. And sci-fi? Not, not, not quite all. I don't quite enjoy all of it because we're going to talk about that in a bit more. Sci-fi, some bits of it I, I like. Um, wouldn't have been a Star Trek fan, but love Star Wars, if that makes sense. So as long as sci-fi is fine, as long as there's a story through it, um, would be a, a fan. 
half of a bit of a story just to keep your attention. Yeah, okay. And so why did you choose 2001 from the list? Um, it was one I always thought, I must see that, it's supposed to be a classic, and I really knew little to nothing about it except that it was sci-fi. Mm. And I suppose there was four or five movies that popped out to me, and I know when we chatted online back a few weeks ago now, uh, this was the one that we kind of settled on, and I'm glad I watched it, but... Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, we'll get we'll get to that. Yeah, yeah, we'll, yeah we'll get, get to, to that. We we'll get to that. Yeah. <laughs> but so, and then the other question is: so, how come you hadn't seen it before? If it was such a classic, and you being such a a, a movie buff, probably because it was sci-fi, and I would have in my head, I would have put it as a as an old school sci-fi, very basic special effects or non-existent special effects, just kind of camera trickery. Really, um, I just didn't really get around to it. I suppose. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I have to say, I, I think certainly one of the reasons it's not easy to watch actually it's certainly this side of the Atlantic it's, it takes a little bit of tracking down but good okay we're going to take a short break now but when we get back we'll be talking with Brefney and our panellists and find out what they thought about 2001 A Space Odyssey this episode is brought to you by Shopify whether you're selling a little or a lot Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching from the launch your online shop stage all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Uh, when it was released, the poster for 2001 A Space Odyssey described it as an epic drama of adventure and exploration, which is pretty uninformative. So let's just take a listen to a trailer we've put together to give us a better overview. In a world, the world is Earth. Millions of years ago, at the dawn of man, a water rights dispute leads one tribe to develop weapons. Then, in the year 2001, a man flies to a space station full of companies no one has seen since the year 2000. He makes a FaceTime call to his daughter, then lies to the Russians. Sorry, Reggie. Then heads to the moon. Then there's a trip to Jupiter with jogging, chess, spacewalks, and a minor computer glitch including karaoke. Then an acid trip from Stanley Kubrick, director of Dr. Strangelove, A Clockwork Orange, and The Shining comes one of his m m movies. 2001! A Space Odyssey. When the movie came out, uh, the critical response was, uh, well, let's say it was quite polarised. I'll just read you some, some quotes from the Times. Uh, from, the, from the time. Uh, it was described as monumentally unimaginative, uh, morally pretentious, intellectually obscure and, and inordinately long, a film out of control. And Rock Hudson apparently walked out of the screening and was heard to mutter, this is bullshit. However, there were other people who said succeeds magnificently on a cosmic scale. The world's most extraordinary film. Nothing like it has ever been shown in Boston before or anywhere else for that matter. Um, some kind of great film and an unforgettable endeavour. So, let me start with you, Brefney. Where do you sit on the review spectrum? BS or some kind of great film and an unforgettable endeavour? Well, it's unforgettable, but I'm definitely with Rock Hudson on this one. I, I've only ever walked out of one movie, and that was The Beach, and this would be number two. I struggled. It took me three attempts to get through this movie, 
I literally finished it about 15 minutes before we sat down to have this chat because I had to get through it. No, this is an absolute no for me. Oh, okay. Did you go through the 10 minutes of blank screen at the beginning and then the end of the original? I did, I did it at the beginning. Uh, I thought there was a mistake. I just thought there's noise, blank, dark screen. Even to, until you said that, I thought it was just a, an issue I had with my copy of the of the film. It was just not good. Uh, I The whole thing was just too slow. The pace, they took six minutes to say what could have been done in, I don't know, 10 seconds. Like You look at something like Star Wars back in the day, and it would have been done in a fraction of the time that it took to do just these endless. Now, they're epic. The, the cinematography for the time 51 years ago was phenomenal and some of the special effects given what would have been available at the time are impressive even now but the story was virtually non-existent and i just i I got bored repeatedly through it it's one of the worst movies i've ever seen of all time i I said it was a a 30 minute story crammed into a two and a half hour movie Mm -hmm. you found 30 minutes 13 minutes maybe (laughs) (laughs) <clears throat> okay, Matt, what do you think? I, I was similar. I, I kind of felt bad. I watched it a second time after reading reviews and more about the themes and things, and it was a little more interesting after reading about it. But yeah, watching it with no real knowledge going in, it was it was slow and boring. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, Peter, where are you on the spectrum? Though, are you a, are you a, are you a BS guy or a Great Endeavor guy? It. I remember another podcast talking about the uh, Christopher Reeve Superman and how the hosts of that were sort of like well the flying look fake but up to that point it hadn't been done mm. so similarly the they used models just like they did in Star Wars and Star Trek and for the time it's the first time to do it and you want to show off what you can do but the longer like it was all right for the first showing, but you could probably cut cut it down a bit. So it, it's impressive what they did for what they had, but like I said, it is half hour or 16 minutes, whatever, uh, of story in a two-and-a-half-hour movie. And, but, like, at one point, like, before the acid trip, I go, okay, it's probably almost over, and I look, and it's like 45 minutes left, and I go, what? But... And then there's the 10 minutes at the end, which when I first went to see it, I thought something was wrong with the feed. I was looking looking on the streaming service, so I stopped it, started again, and it's still black. So I did a Google search. Oh, yes, with the initial 10 minutes of blank screen, because apparently I get a feeling he was trying to make it like a, a musical, you know, like where you have an overture. Yeah. Where... But the thing is, they only had like four different musical pieces in the whole movie, so it's not like a variation of the themes. That they just well, we'll play that one now, and it's like I used to work retail, and you'd have like eight songs that they'd play over and over and over and over again. So mm. I was sort of like that. So I I'm more now on the bullshit side. Back then, it would be a little bit closer to brilliant, but. Not so much. I think it took about six or maybe 25 minutes for the first bit of dialogue in the movie. Like, 
oh, please just get to something. Tell me what's going on. I hadn't, um, no more than Peter, I hadn't read anything about it. I purposely had decided I was going to leave it as late as possible to watch it so that it would be fresh. I wouldn't read any reviews. I did in the last 15 minutes after I watched it, and I was like, how can that be on a list of classics? And some of the stuff I read and some of the people who backed it and, and liked it and still talk about it as a classic, I'm like, I respect the work that they've done off the back of it, yes. So the likes of Star Wars and all the other movies that they've been involved in since, brilliant stuff, some, some phenomenal cl- real classics, good stories, well shot, well structured, well cast. But this was just, yeah, I don't know how, I don't know how to get any more negative than I already have and I don't really like being negative I like movies I, I'll watch any kind of rubbish like I'll watch a, a, a teen movie I'll watch a thriller I'll watch whatever rom-com it doesn't bother me I'll, I'll just lose myself in the, in the story for an hour and a half but this, this, this was a struggle well, you're right that there's some pretty luminary figures who've said it, it was amazing. I mean, Christopher Nolan, I think he said it pretty much inspired his movie career. I mean, it really, really, you know, got him going and, and uh, was, was one of the most important movies for him. So, I mean... Uh, was he sober when he watched it? <laughs> well, yeah, it's funny you should mention that, but uh, um, I don't know if you read about what happened when it came out, but initially it bombed when it first was being shown and uh, the returns from the first weekend were very poor. And uh, I think it was, was it an MGM movie. Um, the bosses of the studio were all for pulling it, and then they got started to get messages from some uh, key distributors saying, "Well, hang on a minute, actually, uh, we're starting to get some audiences drifting in. There's some guys coming. They tend to all sit in a little knot at the front. There's a small number of them, uh, uh, one showing, and then there's a larger number next. And it, that's when the cult following started." And it was around the time that psychedelia and LSD and all that kind of stuff was very fashionable. And um, yeah, at one point it was it was described as the movie you, you, that people enjoyed watching after they had smoked funny cigarettes was one description of it. So yeah, maybe that's it. Maybe that's that's the the, the whole idea. But um, okay, so I'm, I'm I'm sort of feeling I've got to defend the the uh, the great endeavor side a bit to keep the conversation rolling. I mean, can we just explore why they might have thought it was so great, though? Why people were sort of falling over themselves to say it was amazing? I mean, for 1968, some of those special effects must have been crazy. The anti-gravity stuff, I yeah. thought, was pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. There's a documentary, actually, you can catch, which is on, on Amazon, uh, about the making of it. And it talks about all that kind of stuff. And it was uh, it was very groundbreaking. Um, and how they did the... Uh, the bit where he's he's running around the space station but the, they actually built a set that rotated so he's actually running on the spot and the thing is rotating around him um, yeah and earlier in the movie the the girl i can't remember her character's name but she walks right around uh, kind of 180 degrees around the room yeah and it's quite clear they've rotated the set around her it mm. felt like i was watching the kind of i suppose even looking at more modern stuff that might have evolved from that i'm I was talking today to a friend about uh, Jamaroquai, um, their video for Virtual Insanity, and it's the same kind of idea. He's dancing more or less in the same space, and the house moves around him. Mm. Um, like, that back 50 years ago, like, that was revolutionary when Jamaroquai did it in the 90s. This was 30 years before that. Like, some of the special effects, I have to say, were impressive. And the, just the, the vast, sheer size of some of the shots was great. It just could have been 20 seconds rather than 15 minutes. 
and and if Jim Marroquois is too modern for some of us, ten ten years earlier it was Lionel Richie with Dancing on the Ceiling, where they had they had the up, upside down room and moving around, or even even two, twenty years before that. Uh, You're Batman showing your age and, now. Batman <laughs> and Robin climbing up the side of the building. They just got to move the camera sideways, and it looks. Yeah. It yeah. works. It yeah. works. Yeah. That reminds me a bit, though, of the the, the skit in Monty Python where they scale the high street. Have you seen that one? Yeah. Where they do the same thing, except they don't bother to move the camera, and they have people walking <laughs> past, looking at them, thinking, "What do they do?" Yeah. So that's that's quite that's quite uh, amusing. I mean, what about the idea though that some people have have put forward that you know it's not a movie that you watch in the same way that you might watch Back to the Future, where you're expecting a rolling plot that keeps bowling along, and it's more like looking at um, abstract art and that it draws you in and allows you to to muse upon what it means and and work it out for yourself. I mean, do you don't you not get that point? I mean, that's where when I read those themes that other people see when they watch it the first time, it was kind of interesting to watch it back. Yeah. <laughs> but I don't see movies. I don't know. I guess I'm not a super analytical when I watch movies. No? Well, why should you do I, that? I, I did like the concept of who's in control. Is it humans? Is it computers? Where does that go? And I suppose looking back now, 50 years later, in terms of how we're all talking to each other via computers. Um, there's very little artificial intelligence in there at the moment, particularly in this, uh, this encounter where we're all in different parts of the world talking to each other at the same time in real time. And I know you made a joke about FaceTime earlier, Peter, like in terms of what, what he did in, in, in that trailer, but that's the reality is that they predicted technology that now exists that we take for granted. And I suppose you mentioned Back to the Future as well, um, Paul, is that those movies share that technology and they were 20 years maybe 20 25 years apart maybe a bit less and now 30 years later we take that for granted yeah so how do people think it it holds up though as a, as a way of predicting the future because if you watch sci-fi movies some sci-fi movies you look at and they attempted to predict the future and they you know it looks really cranky because it's just so not like that i mean the classic thing that you see is the, the computers they have are all black screens with green text on them, and that's as far as it went. But what do you think about about 2001? Do you think it, it holds up well, or has it got uh, hugely dated in terms of what it was predicting? I, I'm, I was not taken aback, but I thought it kind of funny that Hal was, bra was uh, bragging that him and his... Uh, twin computer have never caught, never had a uh, an error. Never had an error, and knowing what we know about computers now, that's really not something you're gonna tout because it's people that are are programming it, and maybe someone forgot a comma or a semicolon someplace, and it's thoroughly. Thoroughly throws everything off. Mm. But doesn't Hell like, actually say that though? At one point, doesn't he? When he's 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 admitted that there is an error, he says, "Well, it'd be human error." Yeah. The the thing I was saying before we started, I was reading about it, and apparently the idea behind Hal doing what he did was that he doesn't have errors, but he knew what the the secret mission of is it the Voyager or the Discovery mm -hmm. had, 
but he was told not to tell the humans. So much like the Star Trek episode with the uh, the old Earth probe that gained sentience again with an AI, AI, and they messed it up with a with a feedback loop of illogical stuff. Yeah, that's what caused Hal to basically go crazy because he knew he was putting the humans in danger but he was told not to tell them and like act like nothing's wrong which sort of basically gave him a nervous breakdown mm. yeah so I mean how do we think it because it, I was quite impressed actually that the way Hal spoke and I thought it, it it didn't seem that far away from how people are imagining AI at the moment. I mean, it didn't exactly sound like Alexa, but it could have been Alexa's camp uncle. Yeah, well, that's fair enough. I think looking back at it, I thought like the way it's turn, open the door, close the door, rotate the pod, all that sort of stuff that happens through the movie. We do that nowadays, whether it's clapping your hands to turn off lights in rooms. Now, I don't have it in my house, but certain people do have it. Uh, that kind of technology. Or Alexa, where it's play a certain song, do this, do that. That technology is becoming more and more commonplace as we go along. Mm. And you're right, it's not very different to how it was depicted in the movie 51 years ago. Like Kubrick as a director and as a kind of a filmmaker has always kind of pushed those boundaries, I think. And I suppose he's... He's predicted the future in a couple of ways across a couple of his movies. Like even I think in one of my favorite movies of his was Doctor Strangelove, and you see the kind of the atomic bomb, and 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 it was kind of a joke at the time. But now we look and how far are we away from a megalomaniac just deciding, hey, I'm gonna just blow the whole world up? And like, can any one of us really say that that's not a possibility at the moment? Yeah, yeah. No, I agree. I, funnily, enough, funnily enough, I watched Strangelove a few weeks ago, and. Uh... And I was struck by how that was felt really modern. It felt really up to date, and uh, yeah, a bit, a bit sort of, bit sort of scary. So uh, you're open to Kubrick, then, Refni. I mean, you're not, you're not oh, like yeah. anti, anti Stanley. No, no, not at all. Like, there's a couple of his movies that would be on my on my classics list. I would have Doctor Strange Love is one of my favorites of all time. I did quite enjoy Spartacus back in the day, the the old version of that before they made that. Um, was it Naughty's kind of sexed up uh, TV series but the old movie was pretty good The Shining I'm not great in those kind of movies I'll be honest but I did watch it I did enjoy it freaked the hell out of me as a teenager Mm. Um, Eyes Wide Shut I probably watched as a teenager for different reasons but quite enjoyed the movie so I liked but again there was a whole that was weird but there was a story through it and I suppose once there's a narrative I kind of feel like you can follow that and and understand what characters are going through. It's just there was too much of nothing in, in the movie we looked at for this show. It was just we're not going to get back to the negative of that. But yeah, no Kubrick as a as a director as a filmmaker, I would support a lot of stuff he does. Now I haven't seen Lolita, but I've seen the the Jeremy Iron version of it thirty years later. Um, it's a great story. It's a taboo story. He was pushing the envelope as we mentioned already back then in the sixties probably further than most people would even push it now. Like the idea of coming out and making a movie about a man falling in love with uh, and basically an adopted teenage daughter would not go down well now, but he pushed that boundary in the 60s when, in the very early 60s, before even Beatlemania or any of that stuff came on. And, and there's, 
it's it's just it's it's I think he he did push boundaries. He did create opportunities for the people coming after him to really indulge, whether it was special effects or sci-fi or, or whatever it might have been. But like you gotta love Peter Sellers and Doctor Strange. Love it's got to yeah, be one of the yeah, best indeed. best performances of all time. Yeah, well, all of his all, all of his performances in that movie. Yeah, it's one of the questions I was I had actually was about the acting, and then I thought, well, um, okay, was there any? <laughs> well, I looked at I had to actually go and look up who the actors were because mm. uh, I'm like, and I did a bit of research into who they were, and I'm like, I don't think I've seen you in anything else. I've seen you in nothing else. I've seen you in nothing else. Um, now there was a couple of little hits that I kind of recognised vaguely, but like these were non non superstars. Although for some funny reason. Everybody's still alive. Like nearly the entire cast is still alive, fifty-one years later. Um, they all lived into their eighties or nineties, or are still alive. That's kind of got that's interesting. I thought that was kind of weird. Ooh. Now, with the promo that we played, the little little joke about sorry, Reggie, the uh, guy that played the Russian scientist is Richard Rossiter, I think. Leonard Rossiter. His name? Leonard Rossiter, yeah. who was in uh, the British. Uh, series of Rise and Fall original parent, and that was sort of a Absolutely thing. Absolutely but... was, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, he's dead, unfortunately, so he has gone. But uh, yeah. Yeah, pretty much but he was eight, he was eighty five or ninety before. Oh, he, he died. was absolutely, yeah. So two thousand and one is good for your health. That keeps you keeps you going a long time. Ex- except for the director, as as we hear in the the documentary, he died before two thousand and one came around. Yeah, so he never saw it. So come and help mm-hmm. me here. Peter and Matt, are we writing this off then as just some weird experiment that's only liked by by geeks in the industry because of the technical stuff it taught them, or has it got any any other uh, positive redeeming features that we should be focusing on? Um, like I said, I think there was good themes. The whole that obelisk kind of sparking evolution a little faster um, and things like that, uh, but it, it took a long time to <laughs> to to say all those things, like you said. Mm-hmm. I I came up with the thing. It's like you know, in like those rom com movies with oh she's leaving on an airplane. I got to go to the airport, and there's a cut, and he arrives at the airport. Well, this is where oh she's going. I got to stop her. So he goes, gets his car keys, goes out the room, goes on the hallway, puts <laughs> his shoes on, gets yeah. in the car, goes down the street, stops at the light, looks both ways, goes up, gets on the highway, and stops for so coffee, on and so on. Yeah, stop. Yeah, and uh, a little bit of a traffic congestion, and yeah, so goes along again with the uh, sixteen minutes of story in a two-hour thing. But yeah, it. But like I said, this is if he they hadn't figured out how to do this thing, we would never have gotten Star Wars because it it's the same. And I I think from that. Uh, a documentary that uh, you and Paul and I watched. I'm pretty sure that guy that moved from Canada f- that had worked for the N- National Film Board mm. went to there. I'm pretty sure he... Douglas Turnbull. Yeah, yeah. That, I think that's his name. He was part of the team that helped founded ILM. I'm pretty sure. The Industrial Light and Magic. Right. So there, w- there wouldn't have been a star. Star Wars wouldn't have been, well, probably wouldn't been done, if not done. If it was done, it wouldn't be as well. And like all these multiple special effects 
companies that are around working on movies wouldn't be there. Yep. So that that's sort of like a, a a demo reel of what could be done, and that's why they they the they stretched it out because look, no one's ever done it again. See, there's no wires, no wires, and anyway. But what I think this movie would be best for is like a house party, like a like a get together, not like a not like a rave, yeah. But like have it on like multiple screens so people. Will, Doing and they say, "Oh, that looks interesting," and watch it for a bit, and then go do something else. Right. It, it's 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 kind of hard to like. This was the first time I actually watched it all the way through. It was on CBC about must have been twenty five years ago, and I went sat down on the Sunday that it was on to watch it, and I think I might have gotten just past the monkeys. And I did something else. Right. Because... So, I was going to say, I, I might recommend it to my friends who enjoy those special cigarettes you mentioned earlier, Paul. Yeah. Say, so, hey, maybe throw one on after a few of those and see if you like it. Yeah. Jazz cigarettes. Yeah, r- remind me not to go to any of your parties, Peter. That's all I'm <laughs> going to say. If you... Now, I have to say, though, can we have a mention, though, for the music? Because I don't know what it is, but every time Blue Danube came on, I wanted to get up and just waltz around the room. Oh. And it's... Like it's a spectacular piece of music, and it really is. It it just pulls in everything. As bad as the movie was, there were sparks in it that I really did enjoy. And I think the, the soundtrack, even though it was just the same two or three or four songs repeated over and over again, and random noises at weird times, but when the music did come in, I think the music they picked was perfect. Where the music plays, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And in fact, uh, there was a, a score written for it, um, but Kubrick rejected it in the end, and he put that other music on. And I agree with you. I think the Blue Danube works particularly well. Although I have to say, the main theme also spake Zarathustra. I mean, that's that's pretty good as well. It's pretty pretty awesome. That you know, duh, 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 duh. he says mimicking it very badly. Um, the thing about this. No, score... go on. Keep going. It was good. Yeah, it was good. No, yeah, right. Okay. You've obviously had one of those cigarettes. Um, <laughs> the uh, but the thing was that, that Kubrick rejected the soundtrack, and the guy that wrote the music didn't know until the screening. So he oh. went on along to the big opening, and his music wasn't there. So he was a, he was an interesting guy. But I think you're right. The music uh, the music was, uh, was 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 pretty impressive. So uh, from what you're saying, none of you have seen this movie uh, in a cinema. You've all seen it on smaller screens. Yep. Yes, that's true. Because yep. I actually saw it when it was re-released in 1974. I didn't see it when it came out in 68, as I was only 11 then. But um, I did see it in uh, in 74 or 75 in a, 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 a cinema. And it was, um, it was a big Odeon cinema with um, some of the first Dolby surround sound type speakers. And I have to say, that adds something else to it. Um, it, yeah, it went on and on. It was big, but it was very new, and it was certainly a completely new experience for me to see that kind of thing in a cinema. And with all the sound playing on the big speakers and also the huge wide screen, um, it was a bit more of an absorbing experience. I, I seem to remember. I don't. I didn't leave. I did see it all the way through. I do remember it feeling like it was pretty long. But uh, I think maybe you lose some of that if you if you see it on a small screen. Yeah, that's probably fair. I think 
there's some movies just work on a big screen. I think this, if this is going to work anywhere, the bigger the screen, I think the real scale of the imagery. I watched it on a on a, on a laptop, so the screen was even smaller than a television. So I would imagine a lot of the definition that would be there in those um, just epic space shots would have been amazing. Yeah. But yeah, you do lose that, and I kind of realized that as I was watching it. But I just thought. <laughs> yeah, at that stage I was so bored I just didn't care to be okay. honest okay I think we're cycling around so Peter Matt anything else you wanted to, to, to say any, any, any particular any, any other bits you want to defend not so much defend but I'm wondering whether you know Tim Conway from the Carol Burnett show whether he got the idea for the old man the one to go really slow hmm. from uh, from what happens to Dave Right. Uh, you know when when he's in the hotel room, like doing things. Well, I'm, I guess we're spoiling. Uh, Dave goes through a 20-minute acid trip, which looks straight from a from a Who concert in like 1976, and ends up in a in a. Well, the documentary said it's it's sort of like the cage from Star Trek. Where it's something that he would have likely stayed in, like at a at a big hotel, and he sees himself as an old man, and he's eating, which is is another thing that happens through the movie. It seems to be a thing like a a, a theme, because on the shuttle to the space station, the guy had his. Had his full dinner in like his sippy cups or uh, mm. juice boxes, and then it's it's Dave as an old man eating, I guess mashed potatoes and things. But like I said, I'm getting a tangent there. But I'm wondering if Tim Conway saw that and figured, oh, that that's a character I could play. But anyway, yeah, another spin-off. So it's spinning things off. Matt, anything else to add? Um, just defending the movie, I don't know. I found some interesting facts and things about it that were, I think it was more fun reading about stuff that happened with Stanley Kubrick and in the movie than, uh, than it was watching it. Yeah. Give us some of that then. Uh, so he actually went to Lloyd's of London and tried to, uh, take out alien insurance. <laughs> what? According to Ink Tank. He was what worried. What would I cover? Well, so he was worried that aliens would be discovered before it was released and the, the movie would just be obsolete. So he wanted an insurance policy to, to negate any losses, potential losses. Wow. So if aliens had been discovered, he would have been covered. But I don't, it didn't sound like they uh, issued a policy for that. Wow. Although Arthur C. Clarke did say that the night that they decided to make the movie and they had the story down, they went out on the balcony of the hotel they were at and they saw a light go up in the sky yeah. and hover for a couple minutes and then take off. So yeah. he figured, oh, the aliens gave him the idea to make the movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he did. He said he'd seen lots of things that, that, that could have been UFOs, but there'd always been good explanations, but there wasn't one for that one, so you never know. Yeah. Okay. Anything else, Matt? Um, there's also, the movie was actually longer, <laughs> the original, yeah. when it first was uh, sent out. And they have the other 17 minutes of footage, and it's debated whether they should uh, release that. Warner Brothers. Yeah. Well, and a lot of the stuff as well, because he did take some some bits out, and then he kept all the 
the models and everything. And then um, as he got towards the end of his life, he, he demanded that they all be burned. And so uh, all the old, most of the old footage and then all the, the artwork and a lot of the models and things have, have been destroyed. A tiny little bit's been left, apparently, but no one knows exactly where it is. But yeah, I'd, Well, uh, Warner Brothers has it in their vault, according to SlashFilm.com. Right, right. So they're going to probably release it one day for some, in some big um, to-do. Okay, well, thank you, gentlemen. Time is moving on, so we need to, to wrap our discussion about the movie itself, and we do need to take another break. Uh, when we come back, we'll be moving the conversation on, and uh, we'll be giving it a score. Uh, the movie a score and as well as looking at a challenge that I set everybody uh, before we began the show so stay with us Hey it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline ready to go to your happy place for a happy price well why didn't you say so just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels so whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City go Kevin or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda you never have to miss a trip ever again so download the Priceline app today your savings are waiting Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Okay, now part of uh, Now You've Seen It, uh, this particular part of the show is called the host's special segment where each week the host decides on a specific topic or question to discuss that's connected to the movie but is a bit different from what we've discussed so far. And for this episode, I chose to set the panellists and our guests the challenge, uh, which is as follows. All futuristic sci-fi movies make predictions about the future, not least the types of new technology that might exist. What would be your predictions for new gadgets that you would put into your futuristic movie? Brefney, do you want to start us off? Yeah, I really struggle with this. I So many things going through my head. I was thinking about time machines from say, the time traveler or back to the future. And I think for me, it's got to be, in terms of a new technology, I, I don't know, something that maybe cooks your dinner for you that you don't even have to think about it, it just appears. But I'd like that in my own life. But I think <laughs> in, in real terms, um, I think it, it's got to be some sort of bilocation thing where you can be in two locations at the one time. I'm not sure how that would work, but that you can literally be at work and at whatever you want to be at at the same time. Um, but that, I think that some sort of technology, how that works, I don't know. My imagination probably isn't strong enough for that. But I think um, something along those lines where you can literally be in two places at the one time. It might be a hologram-based thing, like, say, in the most recent Star Wars where, where Luke appears and it's obviously him. He's, he's in a different location, but he appears and he... He's tangible, he's there, he can have a conversation, he can touch him, or it could be along the terms of Star Trek. I know I said I didn't like Star Trek earlier, and I don't, but that technology where it just beam me up and you can just disappear to somewhere else, which, again, was a pretty good uh, science fiction, um, I suppose, special effects that, that would have been not that long after, 68, really, and, yeah, something like that, by location or, or beamed around the world, Easily, right. I don't know. I don't know how that will pan out. Right, right. In a in a more sort of casual way than you do in Star Trek, because it's it's a big deal in Star Trek. You know, they go down to the transporter room and so forth. You're thinking of something that everybody <laughs> would just do, like they you know they 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 catch a bus or something. Or you make a phone call. So you know, ring that oh, location right. and you just you 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 travel with it. That would be kind of cool. If you could 
go to Google Maps and just double tap on a place and all of a sudden you're there. That'd be pretty sweet. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. Matt, Peter, who wants to go next? Um, did Matt drop out? Uh, I Maybe along those lines that finally getting Hyperloop. So, uh, which will not instantaneous travel, but like faster than you usually can, like even faster than airplanes through pneumonic tubes would be a thing that would be good cutting down on uh, road traffic and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, transport stuff. Matt. Well, shoot, I actually got lost there for a minute, but did you just say tubes? I think you took mine, uh, yeah. Peter. Yeah, the, the uh, Hyperloop? Yeah, tube technology I've always had a fascination with. I think it would be awesome and hilarious at the same time. That uh, Senate time. guy guy in charge of the Internet that said, you know, the, the Internet's not a truck, it's a bunch of tubes. Well, let, let's travel tubes. Yeah. Like yeah. Minority Report. Is that what they do? Uh, not, I've not seen them. Yeah. yeah, at the start of Minority Report, they they move around the world in these capsules that just go in tubes. Like that will be pretty sweet. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I I set this challenge and I thought it'd be pretty straightforward. And I thought, okay, I better think of of something myself. And then I struggled. Like I think all of you did it. And I thought, do you know what? All the easy stuff has already been done. You know, I mean, like they they you know. In 68, they predicted FaceTime, and that was a pretty obvious one. I remember seeing, years before they became common, a guy in uh, in Osaka in Japan using a video phone and just being blown away and thinking, wow, that was absolutely amazing. So that's been done. And the travel one, I think, yeah, you're talking about variations, but uh, there, there are other ideas. I actually, I actually cheated a little bit and went online and said, okay, you know, what does the internet think? And I got several sites that 20 amazing gadgets to come or 100 gadgets to come. None of them were actually that much different from what we've got now. They were variations on things. It was all like, you know, someone's invented an, an app for that. So that's quite interesting that we've got to that stage where it's quite difficult to predict the groundbreaking stuff. It'll probably have to be, be completely different. The only thing I did come up with was um, I wondered about some kind of mind projection thing. You know, where you could actually, if you've got a picture in your head, the only way you can really get it out is you could either draw it or you could describe it. But if you could put some kind of electrodes on your, you know, connect, electrical connections on your head so that you could actually project the image that you were imagining out in some way, that might be, uh, that might be quite cool. Um, I think that's I, a minority report as well. Oh, well, I've beaten to that one. Okay, well, then there's another one. I went a bit further, <laughs> which was, all right, well, what other things are there in your head that you can't, connect and i thought well you can't communicate exactly a smell so if you have a smell memory of something that smells you could you maybe then say oh well, it smells like this and then you could pass this smell connection so and if you could do that you get you know people talked to have talked about smell of vision but this would be be uh, communicating all those things that you it's actually quite difficult to communicate other than via words so that was why would you want to do that uh, like, uh, yeah. I, I think I think you're thinking roses and uh, fresh cut grass. 
and all every teenage boy in the world is thinking is I'm going to send poo and farts. Absolutely, don't worry. I did actually go there as well, so that was the whole thing. The thing is, just because the technology doesn't doesn't have a use, that doesn't mean you shouldn't invent it. I mean, you know, they invented lasers and they hung around for twenty five years before anyone found a real use for them. And uh, there, but there was a company a decade or so ago that wanted to add smell-o-vision to movie movies. Yeah, they would. They'd have a a basically different vials with components that okay it's like you're cut grass and the smell of the gasoline from the mower and they they shoot it out to to uh increase the experience probably around around the same time that 3D came back so it's like oh it was like I'm in it oh and I smell the smell the pie cooking or the uh, I can smell the ocean for that ship going across the screen right now, so it 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 that's a good possibility too. It's just it would to to have it for everything might even become too much of a information overload for people. Yeah, like e- even now with like uh, 3D goggles and that people have getting themselves in trouble because they're feeling like they're actually in the space and then they take the mask off and how did I get all the way over here type of yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Cool. Well, on the stuff you were talking about earlier about connecting your brain to like project your thoughts and things like that, that scares me just because I've watched too many Black Mirror episodes. They always <laughs> end horribly. Yeah, yeah, okay. Well, it's just, you know, it could happen. It could be quite a good plot for a movie, as you say, like like, like Black Mirror of Made, Made Adventure. Okay, so we we struggled with that one. And I actually think it's quite interesting that we struggled because I think it's, uh, it sort of says where we are in terms of, of what our expectations are for, for, for technology. But there we go. Okay, well, uh, we now need to score the movie. So the way we're doing this is what we're saying is um, if you were to go back and see the movie again in a theatre, uh, how much would you pay to go and see it again? And the scale is from zero to $10. What would you what would you pay to go and see it? So, Brefni, you, you've got the chance to go and see 2001 A Space Odyssey in your local cinema. What would you pay? So it's it's my second time to go see the movie, right? Yep. I think the only reason I'd be going back to the cinema that week is to get a refund. It was horrendous. <laughs> um, so I think I think purely for the novelty of seeing it on the big screen, and purely for the bit of the music and a bit of the cinematography, which was phenomenal, I'd probably pay about mm, two dollars. Okay. Two dollars. I'd arrive half an hour late, and I'd leave about two hours ten minutes early. I'd get about <laughs> I'd get about ten minutes. I liked the bit with the Russians. I thought it was really well shot. the The set looked amazing. The costumes looked great. Didn't particularly like the way they depicted the women. The women just seemed to be eye candy and not mm. actually part of the show. Yep. Um, and I think yeah, that for me would be probably the bit I would watch up to maybe the meeting and, and moving forward then kind of when they start going off and they meet and the whole thing kind of crashes and they go back to the Jupiter mission. I just got lost in the middle of all that. Yeah, two, $2 probably about the max I'd pay, but okay. I wouldn't be staying for the full movie. All right. You'd probably spend more on popcorn than you would on seeing the movie. Yeah. Well, that happens anyway, let's be honest. <laughs> yeah. Peter? Uh, if that extra 17 minutes that apparently what WB has 
is added to it and maybe cut for time, like maybe cut the uh, or or even speed up the uh, the acid trip in between Jupiter and the room to make it like maybe only ten minutes long. Uh, I'd say maybe three dollars. Okay. Uh, assuming that the movie theater is using full brightness on their projectors and not 50% like it usually is where everything seems to be really dark. But yeah, $3. Okay. Matt. I was going to go $3 as well. Cause like you said, if, if there is a great way to see this movie, it's going to be on the biggest screen possible. So seeing it on like an IMAX, I, I think that might, it at least entice me. Uh, I might also be leaving early on that one, Brefney. <laughs> I, I would stretch to three euros for IMAX. I'm not gonna lie. Mm. Okay, uh, so you've got me torn here because I wasn't gonna go quite that low. Um, I'm gonna go for five because um, I think it is a it is a big screen movie experience. Um, the thing is, I've seen it six times already, so yeah, that seventh time might be difficult. So I'm trying to imagine it, but uh, um, yeah, I'm gonna go for five. So we'll leave it there. So that's a that's a two, two threes, and a five. And and just a side note, when they were talking about the shot of the astronauts or on on the moon walking down to where they found the obelisk, mm-hmm. they were saying that Stanley was carrying the seventy millimeter camera film camera. Yeah. So that that is the uh, IMAX size. So it's not if if they still have the uh, the source source film for that translating it to IMAX shouldn't be a problem yeah no yeah IMAX it would be particularly good yeah I didn't I've never seen it in IMAX okay good well uh, that, that averages out at three dollars 25 so that's what that's our, our, our score for uh, for this this discussion so thanks very much for that uh, gentlemen and and ironically that could buy you two phone calls back home from the space station to earth oh <laughs> Now that's a movie geek. Well spotted, absolutely. Yeah, it actually gives the cost of the call, doesn't it? Well done. How long have you been sitting on that one, dear? <laughs> no, once I said, oh, a dollar twenty-five. Oh wow, cool. With the iPhone, it's free, but okay, give your money to AT and T. Yeah, good. Okay, thank you very much. We've now run out of time, so I'd like to say thanks to our panelists, Matt and Peter, and of course a huge thank you to our guest, Brefney Early. And also, thank you to you, dear listener, for tuning in. Um, Usual thing, we'd love it if you rate and review the show in the usual way. And, of course, we'd uh, particularly recommend subscribing so you can be sure of catching all future episodes of Now You've Seen It. If you want to get in touch, you can email us at oraclepodcasts at gmail.com. And we're also on Facebook at facebook.com. Now You've Seen It. You can catch all episodes of Now You've Seen It and some quite other wonderful podcasts at oraclepodcast.com and finally a big thank you to our broadcasting partners at Age of Radio and Galactic Netcasts and you can find more about them at ageofradio.org at ageofradio.org and gncasts.com so again big thank you to uh, guests and panellists thank you it's fun thanks thank you very much and I'm Paul Gisby This has been Now You've Seen It, the podcast. Thank you and goodbye. 
Now You've Seen It is a production of Oracle Media Productions in association with Age of Radio and Galactic Netcasts. For more great podcasts, visit oraclepodcasts.com, ageofradio.org, and gncasts.com.